Hello, everyone, and welcome to our October ARCS chat. My name is Robin Bauer-Kilgo. I am the Association Manager for ARCS, and I'm going to go through a couple of quick technical and programming notes before we start our chat. For programming notes, we do have an upcoming webinar for ARCS on November 4th called Database Blues, all about CMSs or content management systems. Um, so if you're interested in that, go over onto arcsinfo.org to registrar. It is $25 for members and $35 for non-members to access the webinar. Should be really fun, about an hour and a half of your time on November 4th. Um, also, as a quick note, if you're an active member of ARCS, you can actually enter to win a free webinar registration. Um, if you're interested in that, just email me at info at arcsinfo.org and I can get you instructions on how to do that. Essentially, you're going to be updating your membership profile for me in order to try to win a free webinar registration. Finally, a couple of quick tech notes. Um, the platform we're using is a slight delay as we push it out to YouTube. So if you have a question for any of our panelists, just know that we'll see it. We'll get to it eventually. Same goes for the chat. Um, we will be keeping an eye on that the entire time. So if you have a question for anyone, please do feel free to put it in the chat and we'll make sure to keep track of it. And I'm going to go ahead and pass the mic over to John Robinette. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is John, and I was about to say good morning, but that's only for the people on the West Coast. Um, good afternoon, and uh, welcome to the second episode, second uh, chat of this new season. Uh, today, we're going to continue with our loose theme for the season uh, of career advocacy. And uh, as you may have read in our description, so the idea here is that we're going to feature um, this new series called Career Perspectives and examine the uh, careers of our colleagues. And uh, the point of view is um, sometimes in order to progress in our own careers, maybe we need to better understand the careers and the trajectories of our own colleagues. And um, I don't know about you, but I've had many times where I actually you know, I'll meet somebody new and then I find out that they used to be a lawyer. They used to be, um, you know, maybe a, a cop or something in their past. And, and, and it's like, wow, how did you get to, to where you are now? Or just learning all of the amazing stories that uh, maybe uh, people that you look up to have uh, experienced in their own careers. So with that, we're going to start with the first of our series, which is the mid-career uh, perspective of, uh, of, of the profession. So uh, the idea... Let's uh, let's let's see how their past and their trajectory can help us along in our own journey. So, uh, what's interesting about the mid-career perspective is that oftentimes uh, people at this point in their career have some authority. Uh, they have a position of power, hopefully, and uh, so what we want to do is is look at where they came from and what their expectations when they start started were, but also examine what uh what the what the future holds exactly because they're now in a position to to really affect the future and and inform the 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 future so uh and also in a position to to even mentor so with that uh let's go ahead and get started and uh, introduce our panel joining us today kaya black the special projects and programs manager at the national portrait gallery in washington dc we also have jen Keynes, head of Collection services at the Royal Armories in Leeds in the UK. And then lastly, but not leastly, Chakita Santiago, Chief Registrar at the Museum of History, Anthropology, and Art at the University of Puerto Rico, San Juan. 
So welcome everybody. Uh, to get started, I do want to, you know, we do gotta, we do have to get this first uh, question out of the way. Let's talk about our educational backgrounds, uh, just so that we can have sort of a platform from which to to jump off. So, Kaya, tell us about how you got involved in uh, in working in this museum world. Hi, John. Thank you Hi. for having me today. Of course. Um, Yes, yeah, so um, I basically attended Howard University in Washington, D.C., where I got my Bachelor of Arts in History. I minored in, in art history, and um, I went on to get my Master's of Arts in Museum Studies from Seton Hall University in New Jersey. Fantastic. Jen, how about you? What's what's going on in the U.K.? How do you get into this? Um well, I kind of fell into museum work, but my um, during my first degree, which is uh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Geology and um, at the University of Birmingham, where I studied geology, there was a museum. And I think my then tutor recognised some kind of skill set in me that um, meant that I went from there to um, study at the University of East Anglia. So I have a master's in museum studies, muse museology, we call it sometimes in the UK. Um, and then since then, I have done a couple of diplomas in um, art law with the Institute of Art and Law. So that's my kind of educational background. Exactly. The, uh, the, uh, non-linear trajectory that we we're discussing <laughs> so um and lastly chakita oh mute please hi <laughs> uh, well my bachelor's degree are in fine arts i as my background is in drawing and printmaking then i do my, um, my minor in art history which i take to kind of a volunteer in the museum. And it's like, huh, it's cool to work in a museum. Then I worked to do my master's in public affairs with a specialization in art administration, which I took further to college of management. Mm. And so, because I hear the, the museum in Puerto Rico, there were very little registers. So it's like, what is that? And all that kind of, so people was, you know, looking for good people with good tendency in organizing. So it's like, okay, this is a good way to go. So those are the beginnings of, of the, uh, of, then I get to get to uh, uh, internship at Museum of Modern Art in New York for two years when they were doing the move from Queens to New York. Uh -huh. So that was my registration full training for two years. Ah, okay. So I, I do want to take a, a, a quick moment to actually define mid-career because I feel like I should have done that earlier. Um, for our purposes today, we're essentially looking at someone who's got, um, this is of course a very uh, non, um, what's the word, non-scientific definition, but essentially someone who's got uh, a decade or more of experience, probably closer to you know fifteen or twenty years of experience in the field, uh, and their initial trajectory uh, was towards the registrar position. Um, so yeah, essentially someone who now is is fundamentally in the the midst of a in the middle uh, 
range of a potentially 40 year career. So, um, that's, that's where we are. So transitioning from the university question, like you mentioned, uh, Shakita, you had a, an, an internship. Did anyone else uh, follow an internship model in terms of uh, getting their first experiences? Jen, you're saying no. Talk to me. No, um, I went straight from uh, my master's degree to a, a job. Um, my first job coming out from doing a geology degree, my first job was as registrar and natural science officer for a local authority, a local government museum here in the UK. Mm. Um, and it's at that point where I kind of, I got the job because I was a geologist and working with natural science collections as a whole, but I kind of then realised that actually the registrar bit of that sort of two-tier job was the thing that actually I was probably best at and I really liked in terms of the logistics and project management and that kind of broad scope of actually you can you get to work with lots of different collections and that's what actually kind of really appealed to me so that's kind of when I started thinking oh there's this thing called registrars and collections management and that's that's really interesting and I could I could do that so that's that was where I'd sort of started from and so, Kai, I want to ask you the same question and also like how you got into the registrar field. But we also, you know, we can see that you're not uh, technically a registrar now. So we'll get to, to all of those uh, questions. But, yeah, did you did you have an internship? And, and is that how you got into being a registrar? Uh, yeah. So essentially, while, while I was working on my master's, one of my professors was Rebecca Buck. Um, who I think everyone on the panel is probably familiar with. She wrote registration methods um, in addition to countless other books with uh, Jean Gilmore. But um, not only was Rebecca one of my professors, I did a dual track of museum registration um, and museum education. But at any rate, she actually gave me my first internship that I had in graduate school um, working at the Newark Museum. Um, and basically, I was performing inventory work on the museum's collection. So that was my first internship. And um, after that, I had went on uh, when I was working on my master's thesis. Uh, I had an internship at the Student Museum in Harlem in New York, where I worked in the cur curatorial department. Yeah. And, um, and then from there, did you, con you continue to progress as a registrar? Yes. Um, I actually have 13 years experience as a registrar. Um, I've worked, uh, in, uh, a museum setting. I worked for the Guggenheim Museum where I traveled exhibitions. Um, I also worked at, uh, Pace Gallery for a few years and I also manage a private art collection in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. Wow. And um, so I wanted to, I do want to discuss your um, um, your transition out of being a registrar, which I think is a fascinating thing. But I, I do want to ask um, both uh, Jen and Jaquita. Jaquita, did, how did you get into your current role? Like how many other registrar jobs did you have before you got there and how long have you been doing what you're doing? Well, this is very interesting because when I was doing my bachelor's degree, I was at, um, 
like a volunteer work at the museum at the university, which I work now. Um, and then the director, um, the curator at that time, she was like, oh, I like how you work. You are very, on, uh, very organized. You know, there's something where the museum were called Registrar. So Chica was kind of my mentor. I know she's here in front of the next office, but she's kind of, <laughs> she's, she was kind of my mentors. Like you can look forward to, because I, you know, when you are mid-class in Puerto Rico, you have to go through everything I have to grab here in the island. So I was uh, learning everything and also research abroad because I would love to, to, you know, to study abroad, but I do everything here in the island. And so then when I get the opportunity to look forward to have applied uh, many internships available, at least I get the one I wanted. So that prepared me to finish. And when that happened, sadly, was in the midst of 9-11. So it was really hard to be in New York at that time. And so I came back and at the same museum, I was doing my 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 internship as a, my volunteer work as a museum, which I work now. So I've been here already 16 years mm, because yeah. they were looking for somebody to be a registrar because the museum was the beginning, the stages of the accreditation for AAM. So okay. my first registration as a my first registered work as a registrar was preparing the museum for the accreditation. So it was like full blast. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, writing writing the policies and writing the plans and doing everything and checking so it's what like um a very hardcore course crash yeah. <laughs> as a registrar so and i have stayed here i will work with another museum oh, oh, as a as a, con a consultant but uh, i always have been here at the university of puerto rico yeah. Well, and, and what, a, what a place to learn because you, the scope of the collection is history, anthropology and art. And I mean, it's a huge uh, range of, 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 of technical abilities to learn and um, mediums to learn. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Archaeology is a whole nother world. I wish the best. I, I admire all the people who go for archaeology work, but that was like, oh, this is something that I have to learn. So as a registrar, you always have to be learning something. Yeah. And yeah. for me, that was the first thing that I had to tackle head on when I started here at the job. Yeah. Now, now, Jen, how did you get to where you are? Did you ever practice law? <laughs> or uh, what, what, what was your career path after, after working uh, as a, in a geology collection? So after sort of being registrar and natural science officer, um, I moved then very much into registrar for National Museums Liverpool. So I moved from uh, local authority into nationals. Um, and then I've also worked back in local authority. So local government collections, independent and nationals. So I've been currently at Royal Armoury. So Royal Armouries is the National Museum of Arms and Armour here in the UK. I've been working as their head of collection services for two years now. So I look after not only the registrar's team, but also the conservation departments, archives, libraries, um, display techs. Uh, so it's quite a broad spectrum. My previous role, I was there for 
13 years and I was registrar and collections manager there. So that was a local authority, a local government organisation, which had, uh, had all sorts of different collections from country houses to historic scheduled monuments and um, you know, large natural science collections and everything in between. So I've worked in a variety of different collection types and it's really that sort of registration collections management that I've kind of specialised in. While I've been working in roles across the, the some nearly, well, 25 years now since I've been working as a registrar, I did the two diplomas in art law and those have been really uh, useful and um, they're some of the best things I've done actually with the Institute of Art and Law um, here in the UK. They are really good because it registration world is so has moved as I've kind of moved through the career in the 25 years I've been working in the sector it's become much more legal especially here in the UK and that kind of legal background and knowledge is is kind of really important I think for for us as registrars right I mean everything's a contract uh, yeah. <laughs> these days so um, even the most basic things so um, I wanted to ask uh did you ever, is there a mentor type system in the UK or is, maybe it's not so structured, but is there a, is it a common practice? So when I first started, there definitely wasn't a kind of mentor system. I was really lucky because when I worked at Nash for National Museums Liverpool, there were other registrars who worked in the, not necessarily in my museum, uh, the World Museum, but other registrars around and some of those were very experienced registrars so I was really lucky because I had the kind of informal mentoring and also the UK registrars group is just so good in terms of that network I'm sure it's the same with ARCs um, that network and kind of informal mentoring so whilst you may not know the answer to something you know somebody who might know the answer to something so you, at least you can kind of ring them and and kind of talk through those issues i think we the uk registrar's group are trying to set up a kind of mentoring scheme there is um the museums association here in the uk do a kind of mentoring scheme and are kind of as part of their associateship and I'm a mentor for that scheme um, and have mentored very much kind of collections managers registrars or people who've wanted to be in that field through that scheme but it's kind of a bit more it's not formal in that sense I think here in the UK yeah I mean I think it's interesting that uh, that basically everyone here has had a a formative uh, person to usher them into, I don't know whether it's into the career, but they certainly uh, gave them opportunities and, and gave them a, a brown, uh, what am I saying? A basic uh, understanding of, of the career and helped uh, everyone yeah. develop a baseline knowledge of, uh, of registration. So that's, that's an interesting point, especially as we consider, you know, say the UK registrar group and ARC's own uh, mentorship programs. Um, Robin, do we have any questions from uh, from our chat? We do. Um, one's just more of a comment, which is, is there, when it comes to the definition of being a mid-career, it's, is there any other field where up to 20 years of experience is considered <laughs> mid-career? <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was Googling it. I responded back saying, like, I'm trying to Google it and I'm finding, <laughs> like, all over the place definitions of it. And I think that really boils down to, you know, the definitions of what we consider a career as probably if I'm, I'm guessing of this group, 
late Gen Xers, early millennials is different than what, you know, traditional career of you worked in the same place for however long your entire life. So I think that's a, an interesting point. Um, and then someone else brought up, and this is our, one of the grand fabulous people of our profession, John Simmons, um, would like to know when each of the panelists became interested in working in a museum, at what point in their lives they realized that this was an option to get a job within the museum field. I know for me personally, I didn't go to museums as a kid. Um, that was like more of a, you know, as I went into middle school and high school, I started realizing museums. And even then I didn't realize this was a job field until I was firmly in college. So I think we'd be interested to kind of hear that from everyone right now. Yeah, who wants to field that first? I'll, I'll go if you like. So, um, so I, I used to go to museums when I was very little. One of my kind of earliest memories is probably visiting the Science Museum in London and being able to push all the buttons and being very <laughs> excited and giddy about that. Um, I think absolutely not knowing, but re not realising that actually there was this thing called a museum and there was a profession that you could actually, you could work in them. That was just something that just wasn't, I, yeah, I didn't know about until I went to university. And as I say, my then university had a had a geology museum, the Lapworth Museum in University of Birmingham, which is the most amazing geology collection. Um, and it was only at that point where I thought, oh, actually, there's this thing called museums and maybe I could work in it. And it's full of amazing things. And yeah, that, maybe I could do that. Oh, you're a lifer. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Kaya? Um, yes, like Jen, I would say that I grew up um, as a child going to museums. Um, my mother instilled the importance of history, um, preserving history and culture. So I think for me, I was always drawn to that. Um, I'm a visual person. Um, I'm an artist myself. I make jewelry. So I think for me, it was just like a natural segue just in terms of my interest. Um, and I was lucky, 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 lucky enough to come from um, a family of graphic designers and artists. So I think in that way, um, it just was a, a natural fit for me. Yeah, yeah. Shakita? Well, for me, uh, my mom, my mother was a teacher. So for math and science, I went the whole opposite. I always like to, to, to draw and always... I always see myself as an artist, but since I came, became to the, I was going to the university to go to architecture. Um, I, my face, I got accepted my first semester. I was like, so happy because I realized this is not what I wanted. Um, because, you know, they always say you have to be work here in Puerto Rico and maybe it's, it's something more global. So you have to be a doctor or an engineer or so. Why are you going to do into the arts? You are going to, you know, you're going to start for the rest of your life. And so kind of thing. So <laughs> very cultural. So I don't worry. I will make my way. Is when I was here at the university, which I do in my volunteer, I always be a volunteer in a lot of things. And since the museum was looking for a volunteer, then I realized, oh, I get to see something in the backstage because you always see the galleries, you always see the exhibitions and you see everything so pretty, so neat. And I was wondering who do that and why they do that. And so that, that's a science to me. And that's what it tell me and uh, make me start asking what I have to do to work in a museum, what I have to learn, what I have to 
uh, to study because here is, it, I don't have a museum study background. Uh, I went to to printmaking and, and drawing to administration as a master's. So I have to weigh my way in between. So museums, I always being a curi uh, curious person. So I always like to travel and have my own things. So it's like something had to be within you to go in the museum also. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting how, how often it is the case that people find themselves in a registrar position and uh, they never intended to be there. You know, they certainly, um, you know, I got an art history degree, but, uh, you know, I didn't know registrar was an option. Um, and I think it's a, it's a very common thing, perhaps, of our generation. I probably consider myself uh, mid-career as well. So, um, I think that, um, you know, when we maybe do our EMP uh, version of this chat, I, I mean, I think we'll see a different, just a hypothesis, a different... Um, um, knowledge about what the, what the, what the job options are in, in the career field. But, um, um, but, uh, you know, someone like maybe Kaya, you know, who had access to like one of the Titans of, of the field at an, uh, at a younger age, maybe it was a little bit more apparent, uh, to you. So, um, I, I do want to, uh, make a mention like, you know, in the people that are following along in the live chat, please, you know, if you started your career in a, in something other than uh, as a registrar, let us know, type it into the chat. I'm curious to see what, uh, what everyone's background is because uh, you know, we, we know that the ladder to climb for this profession is not always a straight one. So, and it's not always clear which ladder to climb. So um, with that in mind, uh, I do want to talk about uh, maybe some of the challenges that people had as they, as they came up. And, um, you know, I do want to, uh, I'll, I'll start with, with Kaya regarding this, because, you know, as, as most people know who uh, work in the museum field, it's a notoriously undiverse uh, field. So how, how, what are you, what's your experience growing, uh, progressing in the museum world as a black woman in the United States? This is, um, you know, it's a very, uh, difficult uh, subject to, to talk about, but it's a, one that I think needs to be addressed. Uh, yes, I, I agree with that, John. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting just in terms of my experiences. I think we were, you know, we kind of touched on this idea of mentorships and um, having a network. And I have to say, most likely, I have to give credit to those people who helped guide me and they were supportive of my career and the work that I was doing. Um, otherwise, I'm not sure if I would have been afforded some of the opportunities that I have had come my way. Um, I will admit that initially graduating from college with a history degree, a liberal arts uh, degree my, with a minor in art history, um, it, it was tough. It was tough even finding a regular job. Um, whereas a lot of my friends that majored in marketing or other types of uh, uh, business uh, degrees, they easily got jobs like that. And I'm not even talking about like the job market now. This was probably, what, about 20 years ago. But um, I think with the network that I did have, particularly the network that um, I built up uh, when I was getting my master's um, definitely helped me um, 
find access to positions that were available and kind of laid the groundwork for me to um, to, to, to prove myself. Um, and I, I will say that it is so important these days with these DEAI initiatives to really um, work towards diversifying boards and diversifying our staffs and also um, maybe creating mentorship programs for um, young adults of color who are not even familiar about uh, you know, museum professions and being a registrar. I think a lot of times people just assume that you work in a museum, you're a curator, but there's so many other professions within the field that um, are available that people can, you know, kind of get their, their foot into the door. So, um, I mean, I think across the board, we all have a lot of work to do, um, just, you know, uh, spreading awareness um, ensuring that we, um, you know, we mentor people, we, we show them the way, we give them guidance, we help them set goals. And I was lucky, lucky enough to have, to have that in my corner. Yeah. Chakita, you're obviously you, you, you live in a, in your part of the United States, but you are Latina, you are in a, a you know, essentially, um, a Latina, I don't know what you call it part of, part of the, part of the United States. But, uh, I mean, was, 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 uh, working in another part of the U S ever an option to you? And did you ever feel disadvantaged by being from Puerto Rico? Well, if that happened, I didn't know because something when you apply for a, for a job, which I have done, uh, at some point in, in, in my career to go forward of, you know, to see another things. Um, uh, I don't, you don't get a response. Why don't you get moved forward in the rec recruitment area? That would happen, you know, in job. So it was something about race or um, it wasn't that obvious. Uh, of course, about for experience, of course, I'm going to have less because uh, it's another chemistry between the register here in Puerto Rico. We don't have a lot of uh, outgoing loans or something, but we have another um, experience in other areas. Uh, so which I realize I take on, so to make more and more um, studies and more serious in that part, especially, you know, for in the emergency preparedness area <laughs> for obvious reasons. Uh, but um, uh, the thing is when I go to the United States, I always, you know, I always be, I always present myself as a Puerto Rican. I don't have problem to talk with my accents. You know, I do my, because I know that I hope that everything see you as a colleague, you know, as a person of, a race who is a registrar. It's always the point of view which you have to also change. So you see a colleague, but she's working there. So there's, I so I know in UK is different how you handle things in and also in United States. So we all do the same, but we have another set of um, tools to work as a registrar. So uh, you also have to be very open to ask and learn 
and why you are seeing this and why you are uh, saying that comment or when you see, you know, it's out of place. But I'm a very straightforward person and you have to be as a registrar. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, I have no problem at all to accept criticism, but also to let know people, they have to be uh, more open also yeah. to give us opportunity to to all kinds. And now here in Puerto Rico, for example, registers uh, 95% are women. So I'm also <laughs> in Puerto Rico. So that's also very interesting. I know it's maybe it's, it's also changing in other places, but here the registers in the, you know, chief registers in the, in the island uh, are women. So that's also very interesting. Yeah. I think that's just across the board. <laughs> I mean, um, so, so Jen, what were some of the, the challenges as you were uh, climbing the ranks that uh, maybe you faced uh, in, in your career trajectory? I mean, I think it is that lack of opportunities, isn't it? There are very few, I mean, museums are, there aren't that many museums in the world. Um, I mean, we have a lot of them in the UK, but we um, still, there aren't very many roles for registrars. I think once you've also kind of worked out where you want to live, um, actually the kind of socioeconomics, you know, let's face it, we don't get paid a huge amount in museums. So actually in order to move uh, your family or your home it's really hard for a job so sometimes it is it is difficult so it for in the UK it's also around that kind of money gap um, so we tried to we, we set up a, a registrar training scheme because as, as you said Kaya it's really difficult to get opportunities and for people to have those kind of internships so we've been running it one with uh, the university here in Leeds and the kind of national museums and the local government museums so that we have a kind of partnership between kind of academic and, and kind of practical skills. And we've been running out for 10 years and kind of but paying people to be, to train as a registrar on the job. And we've tried to take people from different backgrounds who aren't necessarily, our, our kind of aim was at the start was to kind of, well, let's open it up to, anybody who wants to find out about this amazing world that we work in, in museums. And then you find that actually you get applications from people with masters, multiple masters, you know, sometimes with PhDs, because it's a, such a hard world to get into. And I think that's the biggest challenge is that the lack of opportunity, there just aren't the jobs. And now I really, I really feel sorry for those people who are coming up because there are even less jobs. Um, and with this current pandemic, you know, I'm seeing, I think the Museums Association is is running a kind of who's announced redundancies. And at the moment, we're up to over three and a half thousand redundancies have been announced in the UK in, in museums. And that's the ones we know about that have hit now, let alone the kind of the implications further down the line. So I think that's been the biggest challenge is the opportunities and, you know, how do you do that? You have done the segue for me to our next question, but before we get there, uh, Robin, let's, uh, let's look at the chat. Any comments there? And thank you to everybody who's posting in there. Um, and uh, remember, you can always uh, log into your Gmail account or your, um, your Google account and uh, contribute to the chat. So Robin, what, what's, the, what's going on in there? 
Well, it's been interesting to read the comments that people talk about what the, how their careers started. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did a I did a purposeful call out to former archaeological techs, historic preservation people, like where I came from. Um, but there are people who were there's a zookeeper. There were people working for private art collectors, um, producer for public art and design events in Italy. Um, someone started their career in computer science, then academic history, then a registrar. So it's, it's sounding like a lot of us, some of us are purposeful, but some of us kind of fell into it a yeah. little bit yeah. as they kind of found themselves in places where they, like, I always think of it as I still have a passion for history. I just realized I really like things connected to right. history. And then I really like organizing. So having <laughs> all those together to me was kind of what became a registrar. I mean, um, one of the one of the questions we're going to have to ask the the panel, but I I don't want to do it yet. But it's uh, I'm going to say it so I don't forget it. It's like what keeps you in it. But um, but before we do that, let's like talking about the 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 opportunity, um, and the and you know the creation of opportunities. Right now, you know, of course, you know, as as Jen mentioned, uh, there's been mass layoffs, furloughs, and you know, just a real. I mean, it was an issue before the COVID lockdowns, but then as now, of course, it's, uh, it's even worse. And, um, you know, the chatter is that there's a lot of people that are frankly interested in leaving, um, the field of, in, you know, not just registrars, just museums in general, because of, uh, you know, uh, lack of pay, lack of opportunity, et cetera. Now, um, you know, Kaya, in your situation, you, uh, are no longer a registrar and, um, you know, I'm not going to attribute that to say lack of opportunity or anything, but, uh, but I'll give you the chance. Like what, what caused you to make that transition uh, away from the, from being a registrar? Um, well, to be honest, I don't know if it was so intentional. Um, I think it was more happenstance and the opportunity presented itself. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny because if I look back, I do remember uh, the, the head of the museum studies uh, program at CUNY Hall University saying to me, she was like, I see you in museum education more so than uh, registration. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, you're just extroverted and this and that. And I was like, mm, no, I'm very much an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of like, you know, autonomy and, um, working closely with objects, but um, I guess uh, in the end, um, just in terms of the work that I do now, um, I think very much, I'm still working closely with objects, but it's more in relation to contextualizing them yeah. or building a narrative around an object or an exhibition rather than being like a, a steward of that object and protecting it. Yeah. Um, and um, I think for me, the transition really happened. Again, I'm gonna go back to this idea of having a network and having mentors and people giving you a heads up when opportunities um, are, 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 are there and a position opens up. So what happened with me um, and how I got into working on uh, public programs was that um, I uh, was facilitating a few loans with the Embassy of Australia, and uh, they knew me because I was working for this private collection who had lent art to the Embassy of Australia in Washington, D.C., and the manager of the gallery was getting ready to leave, 
And um, they're like, oh, this position's open if you know of anyone. I was like, hmm. And then someone else within my network in Washington, D.C. said the same thing. Like, oh, this position is opening up at the Embassy of Australia. I think you would be great at it. And I was like, well, I'm managing the art gallery. I know I can do that. I know I can hang an exhibition. I know I can take care of the art. What I wasn't sure about is um, really building programming, cultural programs on Australia. I knew nothing about Australia. It was a huge learning curve, not only working in an embassy, uh, embassy setting, but also the fact that, you know, I didn't know much about Australian art. You know, I didn't know much about Australian history. So I basically like learned that on the job in like a crash course. But that's not to say that I, you know, that that should hinder me. You know, um, I think for me, I was interested in the challenge. I always like to learn and put, set myself up to be a little uncomfortable so that I do learn. So um, that essentially was how I kind of, got my opportunity to go into that direction um, in terms of working in programs. Did you have a, a mentor that kind of taught you about developing programs? So, yeah, I mean, I think on the job I learned, obviously I had to do some research. I had to learn about contemporary Australian art, but also Aboriginal art. Um, you know, I developed friendships uh, with some of the embassy people who basically kind of held my hand throughout it all. Um, and I think for me, it was very helpful. Um, and then I stayed in that position for a year and then I went on to work on public programs for the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. I just, I love this story where, um, like, for example, like on paper, you would have been unqualified for that job, but obviously people recognized your, your capabilities and, uh, and saw that you were the right person for, for the gig. And I just feel like, you know, I've talked to so many people and they constantly say, Oh, look, you know, I've applied to, you know, 200 jobs and I can't find something, but I, th I feel like I'm perfectly qualified. As you say, it's all about your network. Mm -hmm. um, did your, you know, you mentioned your network before and getting to your, and uh, in, getting into your registrar career. Did, um, did did that network come from you personally or did did your university did did Howard actually help facilitate that do you mean in terms of um, developing the network to to give you um these re as a resource yeah i mean i think definitely uh, one thing i would say about pursuing advanced education is that um, it doesn't always pay off but in a way it does because that is where you start developing that network, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like through your professors, through your peers. Um, and I think in my case of um, getting my first registrar job, um, you know, I was finishing up my, my master's thesis and um, I was looking for a job and, you know, on the fly, I applied to an outgoing registrar position at the Museum of the City in New York. And that was where I met my mentor, uh, Ellen Burke. I'll give her a shout out. But, um, you know, she she took a chance on me, too, to be honest. I mean, you know, I, I had the, the theory, theoretical kind of um, um, 
kind of handle on registration, but like, did I necessarily have that hands-on experience? No, I didn't. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of learned on the job and I think, you know, a lot of us do, you know, we, we yeah. sometimes just have to learn um, on that job, you know, like, you know, we study theories, we, we study art history, but in the end, it's, it's really, you learn so much when you're in that job. So yeah. um, I think for me, that's kind of how it's worked, you know, um, me being a registrar, but also me working on public programs, it's just kind of like, you know, you're thrown, thrown into this situation, you kind of either sink or you swim. So yeah. you just need to be afforded that opportunity. And, yeah. and I think that is the important thing. And I also would like to say that skills are transferable, you know, yeah. so you might be a registrar working directly with objects, but a lot of those skills you have, it's project management, you know, it's, you know, you adhere to deadlines and, you know, all of that could be addressed in other uh, positions and other jobs outside the museum field. Yeah. Fantastic advice there. Um, Jen, how did you get involved in armor? <laughs> I, I assume that uh, you're, you don't have a background in, in armor. What prepares you for, for this sort of a uh, position? Um, that's a very good question. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there aren't any, you know, there's no, there are very few roles in arms and armor. So um, it's not just armor that we look after, obviously, it's kind of all the kind of firearms and uh, yeah, spears and all sorts of, I mean, we have an art collection and everything. But I think I've always sort of dealt with those. I mean, some of the some of the items are quite difficult in terms of or challenging in terms of their legality, in terms, especially in the UK, probably more so than perhaps in the US in terms of firearms. Um, we have a huge amount of different kind of controls over our firearms than I think that you guys do. Um, but so I've always sort of dealt with those difficult or more challenging collection so it's that kind of I've been working in my previous role to this one I was working quite closely with Royal Armouries um so I've always been sort of in charge of firearms and that kind of thing so it, yeah but again a bit like Kaya learning on the job so I I still don't know a huge amount about arms and armor um which I'm quite happy to admit but I'm learning all the time so it's kind of two years in and I'm learning a lot more about you know bits of armor that I never knew before. <laughs> Do you, uh, someone mentioned in the chat, uh, about favorite objects. What, what are, you know, maybe your top three objects that you admire or enjoy working with in, in your collection? Wow. That's hard. I think <laughs> to use like very specific objects. Um, probably the, I don't know if you know it, but the kind of, which is the mascot, I guess the, the logo that we use at the Leeds museums, um, which is a kind of, it's a horned helmet. Uh, so it's a very cool helmet with big horns and spectacles. And there's even like a drip of snot. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's quite a cool um, object. And then things like the, uh, we have a self-propelled gun, a sexton, uh, which has a kind of 25 pound uh, um <laughs> gun on it and it's mounted in kind of like a tank that's that's quite cool too and then we have um i guess the other thing that is quite to show the kind of broad uh, scope of the collection we have a painting by rubens a portrait um by rubens so mm-hmm. it's a kind of broad range so that i guess would be my favorite objects in the royal armories collections at the moment yeah 
Jaquita, talk about your collection. What are some of the challenges that you face? Like, I think you're known around these parts, around the arcs parts as the natural disaster expert. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't know if we can refer you, to you. Uh, Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're famous, infamous, whichever it is. Um, but uh, what are some of the, the interesting things in your collection and what are some of the challenges you face uh, on a daily basis? I, I know this is very academic and to say, but if you know your collections, what are made of, what the diversity that you have is the best way to take care of. And which I have from hurricanes to earthquakes to uh, Sahara dust, the winds that you know you can see from 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 the street when you stretch your hand. Uh, so that happened all in here in 2020. So and also the pandemic, you have to deal with everything also mentally and also have control of the collections and all your programs and all your um, um, deadlines or the project that you have. But also you have to take every, each collection gonna react uh, differently. So, um, and also the collection is so diverse in 3D objects and a sculpture and art and painting in be between their own typologies. So it is a lot to handle. And I'm a wine show woman. And also we have very small, we're a very small staff where we all are aware of everything the other person do. Mm -hmm. So communication with the other persons in the museum so, uh, is very important. So when I need it, I have five more registers. For yeah. example, they know they are aware of what I do because of that teamwork is very important here. You do something because you know how to do handle some things, but when you need it, we all. So I think maybe it's more Latino, Latino, Puerto Rican kind of things to treat some things as a family. So we'll deal with this, we have to do this, and this is what it takes and hand. So that's very important. Um, uh, I admire Jen because she can uh, uh, say what her favorite uh, objects are. For mm -hmm. me, it's like picking your favorite child. So <laughs> I, I, I can do that for some, you know, some are more, have to take care of more than, than, than others and that part of that. So for in the last two years, after Marie Hurricane Maria, so I decided to learn more about emergencies, you know, I was dealing more. So that was the, the line I had to go to learn more, to, to see what I have to do to prevent more damage because it was needed at that moment. Mm -hmm. So I handled it, but it wasn't in my forefront always. So from that moment on, all the course I have taken on, so that's the course right now as a register, maybe I'm leaning now because I really love it, mm -hmm. but also I can leave behind the object. Right. And because I being in the museum, a university museum, the also the impact and the mission of the university museum is to also teach and outreach the students not only for the civilians, you know, also for be a mentor. Yeah. So right now I have students coming, I'm writing a test, a, a thesis or um, a project class about um, uh, uh, 
emergency planning. It's like you are in bachelor's now. There's no program who teach not anywhere in BA. So now you have seen another change of pace within the academia, and now they have to reach the, the, the professional. So it's very interesting now, now as a registrar, I can teach back and, and reach the students. So I I did it on purpose, but I'm now working as a mentor and, you know, because it's very important, it happened to me, I'm really uh, making sure for to do it also for others. Yeah. Um, let's go to the questions before we start uh, uh, a final rundown where we uh, look towards the future. Uh, anything in the chat going on, Robin? Um, one interesting question that popped up earlier it says to all panelists, at what point did they feel seen and heard as a museum professional and no longer as an, they say intern or grad student, I would also add EMP to that list. So when did you kind of feel like you had I don't want to say come into our career because I feel like careers are like a constantly evolving thing. But when did you kind of feel cemented in what you were doing or how you were looking at your career? Or are you just happy? <laughs> like, maybe, maybe there isn't a moment. I I don't know. Maybe it or maybe is it uh, after you get a certain job or at a certain level? Just throwing that out there. I think uh, I think it's big. Um, when you pass the five year, <laughs> you know, very steady in a job, so you can plan ahead for two to three years, other program um, on your on your projects. So, and you are in charge of it. That was like, oh, okay, now I get it. So <laughs> that was the, the key. And also, when the museum get because I was hired as a register for the accreditation, and the museum get the accreditation in two thousand thirteen. So now, now I have to comply for everything I did for to, to be a, you know, I created museum. So you have another level of compromise to yeah. keep going as a, as a professional, also as a registrar in a museum. So it's very important. So that, for that coming on, I did it what I was hired for. Yeah. So that was very important for me. Yeah. Uh, other, other comments, Robin? Questions? I think we're caught up pretty good. There is an interesting point, though, that someone said about, um, I wonder if you have ever considered working as a registrar in auction houses, commercial art galleries, or for private collectors. Do you prefer museums, or did it just happen to be? Um, and I think that's interesting because it, I've, I've always worked for either as a, an institution or a, as an independent registrar. So I think it's interesting if people kind of set out in their careers to work for the private side of the house, or was it just kind of like where the jobs are or kind of what is everyone's thoughts on those two different, I guess their career paths in the grand scheme of things, but you know, where you're going to be working. I, I can uh, try to answer that. Um, I think all of those environments honestly are all very different um, working in a museum setting is very different than working in a gallery setting or um, for a private collection. Um, I, I think museums tend to kind of set the bar um, and they move, I think, in a very planned kind of way, whereas maybe when you're working for a private art collector, things might move in a, in a diff, at a different pace. Um, you know, uh, you're working on behalf of a private collector and their collection. And sometimes things just come up where you have to 
pivot and move very fast. The same with art galleries. Um, they are in the business of moving art fast. So um, I, I would say that all those environments are, are so different, even though the common thread is the art. That's how I would answer that. I, I worked for a, a private collector for almost 10 years. And um, as you say, the, the pace is extremely different. And what's weird about it is that oftentimes there's a very blurry line between personal um, yes. uh, things and, um, and, and the object or the collection, what is the collection, right? Yes. And so um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you either love or you hate, you kind of wear every hat as, you know, as people in small institutions do, you know, you, you have to do a little bit of everything. So you might be in charge of the collection, but you know, sometimes you have to go mm -hmm. work on the dishwasher and in, in the house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, we have just a few more minutes left. Um, so I do want to talk about aspirations for the future. Now we, we, we've kind of addressed how, People got into it and oftentimes through sort of uh, uh, circumstance and not necessarily intent, but um, how, how do you perceive the future of um, the, the, the profession and, and, and where it's going and what, what are maybe your hopes and short answers, please <laughs> <laughs> on a big question, short answers. Let's start with you, Jen. No pressure. That is, that is a big question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I don't know about anyone else. I mean, I never had a plan. Uh, I still don't have a plan of like, this is my career. And in five years time, I'm going to be director of the British Museum. No, there is no plan. Um, I guess I'm just hopeful. I, I'm, I am kind of concerned about the cultural sector at the moment. And when we've taken a massive hit, um, you know, we were, as you said before, that it, things weren't great before the pandemic hit. Now the pandemic's hit. Um, and especially in the UK, we have we also have the Brexit word to deal with as well. Um, all of this is going to have a massive impact. And I do really worry for the culture sector um, in terms of the future. I mean, we have been through really tough times before, but this looks like we have to kind of really think about how we adapt the sector and, and what we do in museums. Um, if we can't have lots of people, you know, the driver's always been around visitor figures and that's going to be, we, we can't do that anymore. So I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really interesting time and I think we have to adapt and change. And that's what we as registrars do so well is, is adapt and constantly change. Very well, very well put. Um, Kaya, thoughts? Um, I echo Jen's point. I mean, I think um, we're all kind of figuring out day to day um, how things are going to go, um, you know, with the economy, the, the art sector, with museums closing and now starting to reopen. Um, I think the future very much is unknown, um, but we still have work to do in maintaining our collections, um, offering uh, virtual programs online. Um, I, I also don't have um, like a set goal right now. Um, I'm quite happy where I am working on public programs and 
other special projects and initiatives for the National Portrait Gallery. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what the future brings. Chiquita, tell us the so, way. <laughs> as a island girl point of view, uh, is, is, you know, is, um, the reality is very different here in the island. So, because we have another set of things coming as a, as an economic factor also on top of the pandemic. The, the thing I wanted to do a year ago is not longer. So you have, as all will say, look. you have to adapt and, and, and rethink what you wanted to do. Uh, but I'm really grateful that because the museum is inside the university and the university is a very solid institution still, so I still have my job now. I change pace and I'm doing other things that I want to. So when we open, we have another, a lot of things to go forward as a museum, as a teamwork. But personally, uh, I still want to teach, um, be a mentor. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing it without acknowledging that I was doing it. So, um, and now, um, because I have two um, previous uh, students that have been working in the museum where they were uh, uh, doing their bachelors, I'm seeing like, a, you know, we are in the same, also same age, but now they are registers. Now they are taking in because they have that, in, they have that opportunity. So still, I can keep doing that. I'm happy where am I, where am I? Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's very, very important. If I find another line of work like Kaya did, <laughs> like you can use your other skills, that we happy. But right now, if you're a registrar, a registrar, I think you're a registrar for life. It's part of you know <laughs> for yeah. for everything what you do. So. I think what I think what's interesting is um, you know I didn't know anything about any of your careers before we had this conversation today, and that's somewhat by intent. Um, but uh, but we we do see some common threads where you know everyone had uh, either an internship or a mentor uh, type figure that got them into the field. Uh, it sounds like nobody applied to their job using a resume or anything like that. It was really you know who you know. It's your network and everything. So um, I mean these are important points because they they continue to be relevant now um, as we you know as we're in this other. You know, if we if we consider this lockdown as a uh, defining moment, uh, as we look to the future, it's going to be ever more important. Uh, I'm not saying you know applying for jobs is irrelevant, but you know it seems like uh, the network and uh, is how you gain access to to so many things. So, um, and also if you are in a position to be hiring people, um, look at these people. They're fantastic, and they got there because someone took a chance on them. So maybe maybe. Take a chance on somebody that doesn't have a uh, an Ivy League ed education. They don't all have to come from uh, Harvard. They can they can come from your internship program. So, um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, any other last questions from the chat that we should address, Robin? No, just lots of thanks from everyone for participating in this presentation, and they were so glad to hear just kind of the perspectives that we all had to bring today. Great. 
Well, thank you so much, Jen, Kaya, Chiquita. This has really been a, a great conversation. Um, to everyone out there listening, thanks for joining us. Uh, also, thanks for joining us on the live chat uh, and participating there. Um, if you're if you are listening, please hit the subscribe button on the YouTube so you can get notified whenever we go live in the future. Uh, remember to join us the first Tuesday of every month uh, for our next chat. Uh, the next chat is going to be. Um, is it not, is it national fire? It Sorry. is. It's all about fire prevention and yes. how we deal with the wonderful, uh, obviously we've had the LA fires that have been, or the California fires have been handling, but we are also going to have experts on, uh, just fire prevention, you know, all that kind of fun stuff if you deal with. And a quick programming note, we yeah. are moving the next chat to chat to November 10th. Um, so just heads up on that, that first because week. of election day in the United States, say, <laughs> and please remember to register to vote. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in the United States, so that would be a very useful thing right now, but yeah, November yeah. 10th, 1 PM Eastern, we will bring you that chat. Yeah, exactly. So, and, it, and like I said, it's, it's going to be about fire, but about all the things that we're getting wrong about fires, because needless to say, fires continue to happen. Why is that? And we're they can happen a, anywhere. We're, we're going to have a real life firefighter on the program. <laughs> Think about it. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Really appreciate you joining us. And, uh, and to everybody listening, thanks for joining in uh, because you're probably at work. Maybe you're procrastinating <laughs> and we're happy to facilitate that. So with that, we're going to sign off. Thanks again. Everybody thanks, have a great everyone. Tuesday. Bye. And now a day in the life. Hello, my name is Candace Thomas. I currently work for Crozier Fine Arts as an inventory specialist. This is the story of my first overnight courier trip. At the time, I worked for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History as a collections manager in the museum division. 2017 marked the 200th anniversary of Mississippi becoming a state, and as part of the state's bicentennial celebration, the department traveled a rare 1818 20-star United States flag from the Museum Division collection and an original copy of the state's 1817 Constitution from the Archives Division to 12 locations around the state. The flag is a little over five and a half feet by 11 feet and is mounted in a six and a half foot by 11 and a half foot steel backed frame weighing 300 pounds. Mississippi is the 20th state and the 20 star flag was only the official U.S. flag for one year due to Illinois becoming a state in 1818, which required a new star to be added to the U.S. flag. The 20-star flag in the department's collection belonged to Captain Weston of Marshfield, Massachusetts. The flag flew on Captain Weston's ship, which explains its large size. I accompanied the flag on its 90-mile journey from Jackson to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Moving the flag required two custom steel A-frame carts, a moving crew, and a box truck. I met the moving crew at 6 a.m. to load the flag, then watched as much to my surprise the truck left before I could even get in my car. When I arrived in Hattiesburg, the truck was nowhere to be found. My first thought was, how do I tell my boss I lost the flag? 
But just as I was leaving what I hoped was a calm and not at all panicky sounding voicemail, the truck came around the corner and a wave of relief washed over me. I hadn't lost the flag after all. I held my breath and as I watched the moving crew maneuver the flag around the tight corners and into the temporary exhibition space in the Hattiesburg Public Library. Once the flag was set up, it was time to open the doors and greet the public. What followed was my first public artifact presentation and my first time talking to a school group. I met the mayor of Hattiesburg, a group of ladies from a civic organization wearing very fancy U.S. flag-inspired scarves, as well as a host of other history lovers. Seeing how excited everyone was to see the flag really brought joy to my heart and reminded me it was my privilege to care for not only the flag, but all of the artifacts in the collection, so they may continue to inspire the people of Mississippi for generations to come. If you would like to see the flag, it is currently on permanent display in the Joining the United States Gallery of the Museum of Mississippi History, located in downtown Jackson. Thanks again for listening. Go watch your hand.